Welcome to the Kira Feeling Podcast. Joining me today is activist and journalist Joanne O'Reardon. She discusses navigating life as a young woman with a condition known as total Amelia. Joanne O'Reardon, thank you very much for speaking to me on the Kira Feeling Podcast. Joanne, how would you best describe yourself? Um, I I was thinking about this last night, and I I actually don't know. It depends on who you ask. Um, if you ask my friends, they'll say I'm one of the most boring people you'll ever meet because if I hang out with them, like we just do the same thing over and over and over again. We walk the dog, we go to cinema, we go to a football match. Uh, we we do whatever. If you ask my parents, they'll say I'm all over the place. Uh, because I just pick up random things along the way. Um, in terms of work and you know gigs and and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then if you ask people who don't know me and only see me on television I'd say they'll say I live the absolute life of O'Reilly um, and that I'm here there and everywhere but no I think overall I'd say that I'm probably um, and probably an introverted extrovert and that I do love hanging out with people um, and I do love meeting so many different people but I also love time to myself um, and I think that's one thing that I would I would definitely say that I just love I love to recharge my batteries and then I'm, I'm ready to go again it doesn't matter how long you need me for if you need me for like six months I'll be good to go for six months, but I'll need like a month off at least to like decompress. Do you know what I mean? Um, obviously, a lot of people would uh, have heard of you before, Joanne. But for people who may not have seen you before or heard about you, um, you can you explain to them what your condition is? It's totally Amelia, and I had learned a lot about this. Obviously, I know of you for a long time since um you, you know, got the government to reverse uh, the proposed cuts to disability. Um, and I've seen you uh, on TV and read your articles plenty of times. But can you explain to people what your condition is? Yeah, so total amelia is a rare disability. Uh, and it basically means you're born without your limbs. Um, so amelia means limbs in Latin um, and total obviously means all. Um, so there's only one of seven people in the world, um, or I'm only one of seven people in the world, sorry, born like this. Um, so yeah, it's definitely incredibly rare and incredibly unique. Um, and I suppose there's no medical reason um, as to why it happened. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's definitely pretty rare. Um, um, and I suppose I'm very fortunate that I haven't had too many um, health issues aside from having no limbs. Um, and I have scoliosis as well, which is a curvature of the spine. Um, so aside from those two um, two things, which I think a lot of people missing limbs probably have a curvature of the spine as well. Definitely the two girls that I know quite well, um, we both have different curves in our spine. So um, yeah, aside from that, thankfully, I'm, I'm very healthy. Um, you know, I, I, I do as many things I possibly can to stay fit. Um, sorry if you hear my dog running in and out um, but uh yeah I you know I work out I do yoga I do reformer pilates I do normal mat pilates um and I suppose I walk the dog as well um so uh yeah I I try and keep as as active and as as, as fit as I possibly can um just to make sure I don't have any you know issues you know down the road but you know none of the people that I've met none of the girls that I've met none of them have had you know any any issues um you know, health-wise anyway, you know, thank God, touch wood, um, they're all fairly healthy. Are you in any physical pain or any pain during the day, Joanne? 
No, I'm I'm really fortunate, none at all. I have another friend um, who has scoliosis and she would have suffered really badly with, um, you know, like nerves, nerve issues, as in, you know, her spine literally hitting off nerves, um, muscular damage, you know, like literally going weak in her arms and legs and different things like that. So I'm very fortunate that I've, I've never experienced any of those. Um, I have a titanium rod in my back that helps to keep my spine um, the way it is. So I've had that in me now for the last ooh, 11 years. Um, so it's basically part of my life now. Um, as my surgeon tells me, if you want to even throw me off a building, it probably wouldn't move. Um, but he obviously doesn't recommend throwing me off a building. Um, so yeah, no, it's, do you know what? I'm very fortunate. I've never had any pain um, with the rod that I have at the moment. Um, I had a rod when I was younger um, and because I was eight years old and you know what eight-year-old children are like, I was incredibly, you know, I wanted to do everything. I wanted to swim, wrestle with my brothers, do whatever. Um, we were a bit unlucky with that one in that it actually slipped off um, the bottom of my spine and um, so yeah if people have like rods or um, you know different uh, pins or whatever in their body they'll know the pain if something like that happens but other than that thank god completely completely fine and uh, last week I pushed I think I pushed 28 kilos on the reformers so uh, fingers crossed that keeps going anyway. Wow you spoke about you know being eight years of age and wanting to do everything um, that every other youngster at that age was doing. Um, did you find it difficult in discovering your identity then, knowing that you maybe you, you were different to other people? No, I suppose it didn't bother it, it didn't bother me in a lot of ways. Um I suppose I knew I couldn't like, you know, it was always embedded that I couldn't, you know, run with the rest of my peers or kick a ball, you know, or, or do different things. But I knew I had other ways of helping out and, you know, supporting them. You know, I knew, for instance, like I had my voice. Um and I remember when I was younger, you know, the teachers there was only twelve in our class, so the teachers used to always be like, Oh, do you want to be a referee? And I obviously reveled in the role of dictatorship <laughs> more than anything as an eight year old. Um so I was completely happy out I think as long as I was involved in any shape or form it didn't matter to me in terms of what way I was involved obviously you know it was really funny today I was well accidentally I was at my um I was walking the dog and my niece uh, her school had their sports day on today and uh, I was watching her obviously run up and down it's it's obviously really funny like looking back because like I know no different you know but it was it's just really funny when she asked me did you ever run in the sports race and you know in fairness the school put me in the sports race at some stage just for the sake of it. Um, and I was like, yeah, I did, I did. And she was like, did you win? And I was like, no, because <laughs> children run really fast and wheelchairs do not go fast. Um, but, you know, it's nice to see, like, that, that innocence, I suppose, and that curiosity, you know, coming from, you know, all her classmates and all the children I, I met at the sports day, they were all... Now, they were more interested in the dog, I will admit, um, but a couple of them were telling me to go run in the race. I was like, I'm, I'm 27. I, I think my days of uh, running with you are long gone. Um, but, no, they're... Do you know what? They're... The, the the innocence and the curiosity of children I think is one thing you know that kind of probably kept me going when I was younger because all the children were interested into why I was the way I was um you know then once they got over it they were like oh can you play football can you do this can you do that um and I think just the sheer sheer innocence of them asking the questions and the pure determination that I would have had of growing up with uh, four older siblings um three older siblings I don't know where or no four older siblings I was like have I adopted one along the way uh four older siblings you know by them by default them making me do things you know with them like go outside kick football run around play catch 
throw ball, throw frisbee, do whatever it may be. Um, you know, I was absolutely delighted because I suppose my siblings would have made me do it when I was younger. So when the kids asked me in school, I was like, yep, I can totally do it. I don't know how, but I'm definitely going to do it. Um, so yeah, definitely a couple of children, you know, along the way, probably... Um, Probably we've had a couple of injuries, I'd say, in terms of my sliding tackles in soccer would have been a bit excessive. Um, but, you know, it didn't matter. I suppose I was involved and the children didn't care either. And it was all kind of a laugh and, and fun, you know, as well for them. You Obviously, I, you've spoken about your siblings there and I know you've quite a cro- close relationship with your brothers and sister. But do you recall a time when you... Do you recall a time in your life that you understood that you had a physical disability? Um, I suppose there wasn't any like one particular moment. I suppose I always knew I was different. Like if I literally looked in the mirror, like it was it was plainly obvious, you know, that I was different. If I went down to my brother's training, it was play it was clearly different. I wasn't gonna ever, you know, be like them or emulate emulate them in my head. I'm like, I don't want to emulate them anyway. Uh but you know, I was clearly never gonna go to training and have the the lives, you know, that they would have had. Um but I suppose I've had this I've had it all my life, you know. So, you know, I always it's it's funny like I always feel really sorry for people who like acquire their disability you know either through like an accident a sporting injury you know whatever it may be even you know for the poor fellow who strains his hamstring you know at a football match and can't walk for a week you know I always actually end up feeling more sorry for them because like they don't know what it's like whereas I know exactly what it's like and I suppose I'm prepared for every single thing you know that would come down my way um whereas they necessarily wouldn't be you know and you know I often do find that you know working in sport and being around athletes you know they'd break a leg and they'd say geez I didn't realize how inaccessible Dublin was until you know like I broke my leg and I was like yeah or you'd have you know girlfriends there is going I didn't know how accessible it was until I had a baby and I had to push around a buggy and I'm like yeah I suppose the only difference there is that in six weeks or two years two two three years with the child um they're over it do you know what I mean like as in they can move on with their lives again you know whereas I'm I'm still (laughs) I still have no limbs in respect of what goes on you like for a lot of people your positivity and your determination it's next level where does that come from um I know you have a very close relationship with your parents as well have they had a major influence on how you you deal with the challenges you face in life yeah, it's it's funny when people say that I'm I'm really positive, and I'd like to think that I am, um, because my my uh, uh, a couple of friends of mine we were thinking of setting up a negativity jar for the new year, and that's so what now like it couldn't be like oh I had a bad day at work like that's not negative, but it'd be more like you know like whinging about things, and uh, they were like probably the most ironic thing is that Joanne would end up filling it because she's always giving out about something, um, and they're probably right, um, so yeah, look I suppose I'm positive in that. That, you know, I'm very accept. Like I suppose people realize that I've, I'm very accepting of my situation, and that you know I know what it is, and you know I'm not like sitting in a corner, you know, crying because I have no limbs. Like this is just a simple matter of fact of life. And I suppose at the end of the day, what I've definitely learned is that irrespective of what you go through, you know, like life does go on, and it goes on without you. You know, whether you, it's it's very harsh reality. You know, whether you like it or not. But I suppose now that I'm getting a little bit older, and I suppose now that I'm seeing more of the challenges you know my parents would have been 
battling and you know facing them for me you know like the right to education you know access into our local buildings here in town literally the right to walk uptown with my dog um like these are all small things that i suppose i would have taken for granted because my parents would have been doing first and foremost for me and i suppose now that i'm older and as you know populations grow and change and i'm seeing that in in mill street in particular now more than anything and um you know there's there's stuff as well that I notice you know and stuff that I get really frustrated by so although the ongoing joke is Joanne would fill the negativity jar they know I fill the negativity jar with like actual issues that like are life consuming do you know what I mean like people parking on the footpath and not having a, a drop curb so I can get out and around like I shouldn't have to walk on the road either you know but um you know or you know I can't get into say they're all going to a, a, a late night nightclub and their steps going into the nightclub do you know these are all really minor things in the grand scheme of things but when these things are presented in front of you time after time day after day they, they do become like a really annoying issue. And, you know, then when I see like people in power, you know, and, and people in government, you know, and I see, you know, when, you know, when say like the, the, the proposal was made, should we make buses free for everyone? And, you know, Eamon Ryan was like, ah, no, sure, people will be taking spins on them left, right and centre. And I was like, ah, yeah, totally, Eamon. I mean, a lot of them aren't even wheelchair accessible. I can't wait to take a spin on my bus that's four steps up um, and I can't get my wheelchair on. You know, it's, it's, it's things like that that really irk me, you know, just the lack of awareness that people have when it comes to living with a disability. That's what bothers me, I think, more than anything. And obviously that would cause you a lot of frustration, um, more so than you would like to have to deal with. Um, how do you deal with that, though? Because it's difficult. I can't imagine the position that you're in, that you're, you're prevented from going somewhere because the services and the infrastructure isn't in place. Um, how do you deal with that? Do you cry? Uh, how do you it, it, deal with the anger that probably comes with that? Yeah, I think the, the one thing that I learned is that, I suppose, one, as an activist and as someone who lives it daily, is that you have to take care of yourself first and foremost. So whatever it is that makes you happy. For me, it's watching, you know, really trash television, maybe writing about it, skincare, I don't know, watching makeup videos, whatever it may be. Whatever small thing I, I do that just picks me up or, you know, hang out with a dog or whatever it may be. Um, these are all things, you know, that I try to look after myself so that by the time this hurdle comes, I'm in the best position, you know, mentally and emotionally you know, to overcome it, because you do face a lot of, and no, and oh, you'd have to ask someone else about that, and and I think the one thing I've learned about Ireland is just that, like, there's no structure to anything, like, you go to a local councillor about, like, say, some parking on the footpath, and they're like, oh, that's a guard problem, you go to the guards, and the guards are like, well, the parking is really far away, like, you have to understand, and I'm like, well, I do understand, um, you know, and I, I studied criminology as part of my degree, and very much that degree was very much understand the other side, so I'm not complaining, it's pouring rain, and people have parked right in front of their door to get in with their shopping that's no problem to me but where it's a problem is where you keep your car there when you're lovely safe and dry um, and I'm outside waiting for you to move your damn car so I can go about my daily day um, so yeah it is definitely very very frustrating and I think you know going back to your question I look after myself kind of first and foremost so sometimes I have to remove myself from the situation um you know like mentally you know sometimes I just have to go home and forget about it um and then I suppose the best advice I ever got albeit accidentally was from my dad's um boss I remember he came in he works in steel so it was nothing to do with my life or anything to do with that and he came in he was really frustrated one day and I was like, what's wrong and he was like I just he was like it's a business decision 
decision. I think I'll have to sleep on it. And I was like, why are you sleeping on it? He was like, oh, it just, it's a clearer mind when you sleep on things. So that's what I tend to do. I try to sleep on things um, and then I motor on them to see what I can do, you know, potentially, you know, to make a difference. Um, but, you know, I think, and you'd obviously agree with this being a journalist as well, sometimes when you make the most noise, that's when things get done. And I think that's a really frustrating element in that I don't want to make every single hurdle I face public. You know what I mean? Like, I don't enjoy going into, say, I don't know, Supermax and the wheelchair toilet isn't properly accessible. I don't enjoy tweeting about that. I don't enjoy posting about it in the Irish Times or the Examiner or whatever. Like, sometimes I do just want to pick up a phone to someone and be like, hey, sort this out. Um, and I think that's what we need to get a little bit better in, in, in Ireland specifically. Would it be fair to say that you're probably never alone, that you, maybe other than a time that you sleep, that you, there's always someone in your company or a family member in your company to assist you? And, you know, for me, sometimes I need my own space um, to be left alone. Can that be difficult for you? Do you find that you probably have a lack of privacy? Uh, yeah, yes and no, I suppose. Yeah, you're correct in that I'm, I'm theoretically never alone. Um, but I have a little space, it's my office space actually, um, here in the, in the house. Um, it's called the study. And the girls know once I come in here, I probably don't like to be disturbed, whoever I'm with, um, unless they're asking me what I want for dinner. And even at that, they know like to take it cautiously or whatever. And like, I mean, listen, people, I have, you know, the girls around me at the moment, I have them for one is nearly a year and the other is six months. And, you know, it's like every job, you get to learn to read moods. You know, same with them, I get to learn to read their moods. They get to learn my moods. Um, and I think we just know, like, we just know to avoid each other. And I think the one thing that they've learned as well is that if, if I do have a breakdown, if I do end up crying or giving out to them about something really minor, like, they know it's about something much bigger, like, at the end of the day. But, you know, I suppose I do enjoy being around other people people but going back to earlier I like my own space and you know my bedroom and the office space that I have at the moment they're the they're the two places that I'm like on my own do you know what I mean so I'm on my own but I'm not on my own so you know it's it's very hard to explain to someone I remember a housemate of mine she she said to me before she was like you're very independent but you're like you know dependently independent you know I'm depending on someone for my independence all the time and when you go into the room to have that breakdown or to have the cry um what are you what are you breaking down about? I mean, you know yourself, it's always something that like really small that tips you over the edge. Like it doesn't have to be the actual thing itself that tips you over the edge. Um sometimes, you know, siblings fight, sometimes it could be a fight with my sibling, and the fight mightn't be of anything of significance, by the way. Um yeah, <laughs> yesterday myself and Steve <laughs> myself and Steve got into a fight because he was watching the Kardashians and he was like, Who is Chloe Kardashian's father? I was like, Stephen, shut up, like I actually don't care. Like, um and the two of us had a massive fight about that for no reason. Um it could be one of the one of the assistants that I have, or a popular one that she loves when I break down at is if she puts on the wrong chicken goujon. That's the other thing that she laughs at uncontrollably. Or well, she says she laughs behind my back when I've disappeared. Uh, she doesn't want me to give out to her anymore. Um, so yeah, they're always really, really minor, really, really minor things. Um, I remember one time I was on a really important call at uh, the dog. The dog stole a pair of my underwear and the PA was doing something else. And I came out to her and I was like, you need to concentrate on the dog at all times. What's wrong? And she was like, I can't be concentrating on the dog at all times. You asked me to clean your room for me. And I was like, just watch the dog. It's not that hard. 
hard. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we literally came back half an hour later. I was like, do you want to go for a walk? Um, so, do you know, it's, it's really small things. You mentioned, um, you know, sometimes trying to get access to a nightclub and stuff like that. Um, I suppose as a 26-year-old woman, do you, do you find it difficult when you watch your friends doing things in life that you sometimes may not be able to do, like going to a nightclub or trips abroad? Yeah, definitely. I think it's always, weirdly enough, you know, it's always the summertime that I always, um, you know, I always wish I could just, I'm not just hopping on a plane. I'm actually a Taurus, so I like to plan things anyway to every inch of my life. Um, so I really wouldn't be the person that would just hop on a plane and be like, I'm off to Malaga. I'd have to have it like so planned out and it wouldn't even be funny anyway. Um, but yeah, I do wish there were days where I could just, literally next week I could book a holiday. You know, a good a buddy of mine, she went travelling across um, Central America. Um, Jan, no, for December actually she went travelling across Central America. And, you know, obviously she's sending me the pictures and she's having such a great time um, with her friends and rightly so. And um you know, it was one of those things where I was looking at it going, I knew I had the, you know, I'm very fortunate I had the financial means if I did want to travel away, but I had no one. Do you know what I mean? Like, I couldn't ring the HSE tomorrow and be like, oh, I'm off to travel there to Central America. I'm bringing one of the girls there. Like, they'd have an absolute heart attack um, if I was to do something like that. So, yeah, it, I, I, that's what I'm finding, you know, really frustrating at the moment is that your life is dictated to by people in office blocks who don't necessarily know and are just putting a blanket approach, you know, to all the law, you know, the employment law and health and safety law and all that stuff going on at the moment. I'm not dissing that and I'm not foregoing that, absolutely. But when you've such a blanket approach to all these things, and I think that's the, the even the worst part then about having no limbs, is that you are incredibly unique in what you do. There's no way of actually, you know, at the moment we're trialling, for example, we're trialling a hoist, a hoist system to bring me, say, from my bed to my wheelchair, so on and so forth. And um, there is a hoist for me, but it's for children. Um, but it's theoretically not safe because I am not the weight of a child. Um, and uh, so, yeah, like, what do you do then in those circumstances? So, basically, you know, the, you know, the HSE are asking me to forego part of my independence because they're like we can't lift you but the girls are happy to lift me do you know what I mean like there's no I suppose what I'm trying to get at is there's no collaborative approach in terms of living with a disability it's a healthcare model and that's that there's no social model they literally think you sit in your house all day you don't do anything you don't walk the dog you don't have a life you don't have a job you don't have anything and that's because of the stereotype or the label that is associated with disability is that you sit at home and you do nothing that's very much not the case the other two girls who are born without limbs just like me if I mean, if they hate, if people think I live a full, a fulfilled life, I mean, one of them goes shark diving, um, you know, for a living, you know, she paints, you know, the other girl, she goes to concerts, she travels abroad, you know, she does all her own things. Um, and I suppose at the end of the day, when you're looking at, you know, say my situation, what I have to look at then in the future is whatever, say, you know, you, you know, everyone has the, has the question, what would you do if you win the lotto? And all the girls, they know I'm very much a spendaholic and they get so surprised every time when I say, I'm putting it into a, a pot for my PAs and they're like why are you doing that and I'm like so I can literally pay my PAs and have my own independence and do my own thing um, you know and a 27 year old shouldn't have to think about that a 27 year old should be buying a house in Marbella you know <laughs> yeah um, so, so from what I'm hearing from you there is when you're 
when you look at other people um, in your position, other countries, it seems that Ireland, probably the healthcare model that's here restricts you then. Totally, um, totally, you know, and I've kind of decided that the next kind of few years is when I'd be a little bit more vocal about that thing, even if I have to share things that I'm not particularly delighted, you know, to be sharing about. Um, last year, no, two years ago, for example, when I was, you know, I had the absolute privilege of doing the, you know, the Paralympics at RT, um, and I remember two years before that I had done, I know he's obviously gone, but I had done a um, an event with uh, Finian McGrath, um, the Minister for Disability at the time, and it was about getting people with disabilities back to work. And at that time, I had just left college, so, you know, I wasn't very into the, well, I wasn't very into it, but, you know, I was very much like, oh, I don't know what I want to do, I just want to hang out and, I don't know, run around for a little bit. Um, and, um, and last, or as I said, when I got the job then for the Paralympics in Tokyo, obviously I'd asked my assistant, would she be free for the two weeks? And she said, yeah, grand, whatever. And um, then, you know, we had to raise the questions of, well, is it legal for her to do the two weeks of work? You know, is it safe for her? You know, like, blah, blah. She was like, look, I don't mind, like, because the work isn't much like, I suppose, I suppose for people who don't understand, um, a lot of stuff that I do, if the, if the thing is brought to me, so like the iPad, my food, um, my phone, whatever it may be, I can work away with it then myself. Do you know what I mean? Like all I need is someone to actually bring it to me. Um, and I suppose, you know, the PA was trying to tell everyone at the time, you know, like the work isn't that hectic. Like I can take naps, I can do whatever, you know, she'll call me if she needs me, you know, that kind of thing. And it was very much under the assumption that, I was basically taking, basically kidnapping her for two weeks is kind of what it was. Um, and that obviously is illegal and obviously you can't do that. And, you know, she needed all the allotted breaks and she needed all the allotted time. And I suppose, as I had said to my brother, my brother Stephen, actually, he came over and he helped out, you know, as much as he possibly could. So he had to take two weeks off of work to basically do a job that the HSE was paying someone to do for me. Um, and Stephen was helping out just to give her the break and stuff like that, even though the breaks were kind of there because I suppose I was at work so I didn't need anyone um and I suppose in return what you get then is you're like no wonder people can't find jobs no wonder people can't you know do this and I remember at that time you know myself and Finney McGrath were discussing it we were just we were both like oh like I wonder what the hurdles are you know like that kind of thing I just know like in my head I was like why is he asking me like he's the minister but I remember I had emailed um Anne Rabbit uh, the, the now minister and her um advisor or whoever got back to me and uh in fairness to them, they, they got it sorted as quickly as they possibly could. Um, but it shouldn't have to be a case. I'm literally going to work. I am literally being a taxpayer and funding all these models. Like, I'm literally contributing to society in the way that I've been asked to contribute to society. And all of a sudden, there are all these roadblocks and hindrances, you know, that exist. And they're all out of my control. And that's really frustrating, you know, more than anything else. And, you know, if there is a minister, if there is someone in charge or whoever listening to this podcast, like, I would just say, like, can we not, like, do a collaborative approach when it comes to, like, a living independent model? And can we not all work together and figure out what's best for the person and the PAs rather than what's best to, you know, tick the boxes, you know, from a HR perspective? Um, Sorry, that was very deep. <laughs> That's what that's what it's all about, um, and I think you got the point across qu quite well. I, I take you back to um the, the the nightclub scene. You've mentioned that you're in nightclubs. Um, do people behave appropriately? 
Yeah, I, you know, hand on heart, I can safely say that I've never, I've never had anything. But then again, I suppose I haven't had the normal, you know, um, life with a person with a disability in that I was on television from 15. Um, you know, so a lot of time when I'm out, it's very like, oh my God, um, you know, and stuff like that. And, you know, I'm very, very, very fortunate that um, I have a lot of bodyguards in a football team, basically my adopted brothers, um, and they're all over six foot. So if anything wants to go a little bit awry on me, you know, they're fairly quick to, you know, step in off the mark. Um, so, yeah, I've been very fortunate. I've never thankfully had anything uh, untoward or ridiculous or weird, you know, happen to me um, more than anything. I would probably say most of the weird stuff happened to my siblings because they'd be the ones who'd be, you know, taking the taking the mick out of you um, and doing whatever. So, uh, no, I've been very fortunate in that regard. You know, I, I know of other people who haven't had similar experiences. Um, I think, um, you know, a couple of people, um, you know, who were born, like, you know, little, little statures or, you know, whatever. Um, you know, I've heard of them having, you know, god-awful times, you know, with just idiots, really, more than anything, who don't know any better. Um, but I think I'm lucky in that with my job, I have to, well, I don't have to, but I go to schools and I do a lot of company talks and I visit a lot of places. And as I always tell them, like, hopefully their interaction with me will open up so many doors and opportunities when they meet someone with a disability and that they'll know, okay, just, like, keep the door open maybe or just ask them how they're doing, you know, or different things. And, um... You know, you even see it in my year, my year in school alone. A lot of them now have actually gone on to work with either kids or people with disabilities or whatever. Um, you know, and either subconsciously or consciously, you know, they all, you know, I don't know whether that's down to me or, or what, but, you know, we all definitely would have been a little bit more um, aware, I suppose, of the challenges that have existed. Is dating a challenge? Um... <laughs> God, I'm just a snob anyway of all the shapes and sizes. My father's at the stage now where he's willing to raffle me off because uh, he knows I'm too fussy. Um, listen, I, it's not really anything that um, I haven't thankfully have had any any major issues with um i'm just anyone who knows me well knows that um i am um, I'm, I'm laughing because they know i'm the fussiest person on the planet and i'd literally want to be friends with you for about 10 years for me to even see you in any potential romantic spotlight but as i tell everyone now i have baggage i have a dog um you know i have a child so uh you know if you you can't cope with that he's he's worse than me he's he's he's, he's a million times worse than me but uh yeah, look, I've been very fortunate. I haven't had any issues there anyway, you know. Obviously, like every teenager had your heart broken and all that stuff. But, uh, you know, it's, uh, you never, thankfully, I never would have gone too deep on any of that. Okay. And back to when you, when you're, when you see, you know, you spoke about your friend in particular that was able to go abroad um, and things like that don't come as easy. Do you think that someday that you might be able to have a family of your own or have you thought about that? Um, it's funny because I'm literally, um, so there's three years between us, isn't there? So you're probably in the same bracket as well of, of kids in marriage everywhere. Like you literally look over your shoulder and there's another friend ready to pop and there's another friend getting married and there's another, um, <laughs> I'm just laughing because my mother literally, I'd say she's sick of me at this stage. Uh, so she, she's very much aware that, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll probably get married in my 40s or 50s at, uh, she knows I'm buying a farm for all my dogs. Um, look, I've plenty of nieces and nephews. I'm very fortunate that way. Um, but, um, yeah, I suppose, look, I don't know. I don't think, um, I'll be a very supportive aunt. Yeah, look, it, it is what it is. I'm personally not at that level, I don't think, um, 
I'm not very maternal in any sense or form. Um, so yeah, it's it's do you know what it's a tricky one you know for girls even to navigate. I think anyway, um, career job or career and babies and marriage. Um, but everyone everyone knows I'm I'm career oriented anyway, and um, yeah, um, people people know I'm not I'm not in the space anyway for probably a long time to have children. You'd be the cool aunt, so like myself. I uh, yeah, do you know I today today I was told by the six year old I was embarrassing her because I was cheering for her, uh, so she told me stop embarrassing her. So do you know one is kind of open that I'm an embarrassment. And I think that's healthy. <laughs> Tell me this: How important is faith to you? Do you have a view on religion, or do you have religious beliefs? Um, I was actually saying it to a Muslim friend of mine. I wish I was religious the other day. I was like, at least then if something goes wrong, I could be like, oh, is God testing me? Um, you know, the way you see uh, all, you know, I, I get to interview a lot of athletes and a lot of athletes are obviously, are, are, some are very religious. And if they lose a race, they're very like, it's in God's plan, it's in God's plan. I'm like, I wish I had that optimism. Um, so no, I wouldn't be the most religious. I would say I'm very much, uh, I would say I'm spiritual more than religious. Um, I don't think that it's just, do you know what I mean? Like, I would like to think that it's, you know, good karma, you know, what you put out there is what you get um, in return. You know, I'd like to think, you know, kind of what goes around comes around, you know, kind of vibes. Um, I very much would like to think that after we die, um, that I'm not just in the ground or burnt or whatever, and that's that. Um, I'd like to think there is a little bit more to it. Um, but no, I would be very... Um, straight I suppose I'm very realistic and I'm very aware of like you know of, of, of stuff and um yeah I think you know I'm yeah probably more spiritual I would definitely say more than anything obviously there is a time where if things are going really really bad you're literally like oh dear god I know I only talk to you once every seven years but surely you owe me something here now like uh I haven't asked you for anything a long time I swear um and uh, I remember when I was younger it's weird a quote uh, it's a stupid quote now more than anything that impact to me the most was um, Johan Cruyff, the soccer, the Dutch football uh, superstar and manager. He once said, um, I see all my players and they're blessing themselves before they go on the pitch. I don't understand it. Surely if there was a God, every game would end in a draw. Um, and, uh, you know, or uh, then when uh, another uh, journalist challenged him, maybe saying, you know, well, maybe the person who wins is just a bit more religious. And he's like, maybe but they still all end in a draw because they're all praying for their own team. Um, so, yeah, that's that's very much my perspective. But Jesus, don't get me wrong. If, you know, my club or Barcelona or anything like that are playing and if it's going a bit awry, I'm, I'm known to sit down and say an old decade of the rosary every now and then. <laughs> and other than the um, changes to disability services that you would like to see come into place, what is one thing that you would change about Ireland and why? Um, at a government level, I think we should have no dis minister for dis minister uh, for people with disabilities. I think all of I think every civil servant within their um, lo with, within their government or their their group or department or whatever, they should all have a disability network implemented into every single one of them. Because if you have a disability, you interact every single facet of society. You don't just interact with health or housing or sport or um, transport or uh, finances or justice or whatever, uh, employment, we interact with literally every single department at some stage along the way. So I wouldn't have a minister for a disability. Listen, I like Anne. She can hang on to her job. I might give her like an overarching, you know, um, what I'm looking for, an overarching eye into all the different departments more than anything. Um, but yeah, that's one big thing that I would change. Um, and I suppose the other thing that I would have is that 
Um, that actually probably would make a lot of difference, to be honest, to a lot of things, because I think then, you know, anything that's built, you know, um, housing, for example, is, is a big one. Um, not So at the moment, the building legislation is that houses are only accessible for a person to visit. So basically what that means is that you can get in the front door and probably get to the kitchen, but... Listen, if you want to go to the toilet, oops, you know, it might be upstairs, it might be somewhere else. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean the house is livable. Um, and I think the one thing that I would ask everyone to change or change their mindset is that just because you're changing for 25% or 12.5% of people with disabilities, you're actually changing it for the better of 100%. You're not only changing it for the people with disabilities, you're changing it for people, uh, parents with buggies, uh, people who might you know, pick up an injury, God forbid, along the way, have an accident, again, God forbid, whatever, elderly people, people who acquire a disability, whatever it is, you're looking after all of society rather than just 12.5%. And finally, Joanne, um, a piece of advice that you would give to my next guest. Um, definitely read the questions. Be a good one. Uh, I read the questions. I didn't, you know, it was one of those things where I read them. I didn't overly think about them because I was like, I'll let the answers flow. Um, and I would say more importantly, just be yourself and I think just be open because I think, um, look, there's a massive thing in, in, in sharing your story. I think sharing your story is absolutely powerful um, and people can gain inspiration, people can, can gain motivation, whatever it may be. But I think people need to understand that your story is unique to you and whatever hurdles and challenges and barriers you've overcome, as well as whatever successes you've had along the way, if you feel like they're big things and you feel like they're good things, fair play to you. Um, I think we need to get rid of the power of, of comparing and comparative. Um, everyone's story is their own story. Um, and just embrace your story and embrace the roller coaster and celebrate all the mini victories along the way. Um, as my housemates know, I love to buy a bottle of champagne at every single minor celebration along the way. The dog did well on his laps around the park, buying a bottle of, of champagne. Uh, so yeah, celebrate every single win um, in whatever way you can along the way. Oh, I love that. I might take that uh, that up myself, Joanne. Listen, thank you so much for speaking to me today. I really appreciate it. Um, thanks again. No worries. Appreciate it. My thanks to Joanne for joining me today. I'll be back next week with another episode as well-known people discuss the influence of family and faith in their lives and the challenges they have faced.